If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this... But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I'm your host, Rob Vera, joined as always by my co-host, Mark Mosey. And also joined this week uh, as our th- uh, joining us this week as our third is... The Blue Room OG himself, Matt Jones. Gentlemen, there's so much to talk about. I, I it's, it's one of those where I know exactly where we have to begin, and yet I don't know where we can begin because there's just so much. I felt bad, Matt, for you guys yesterday as you're getting into a really engaging and, and uh, very deep conversation about subject matter that seemed to be evolving as you spoke. I think a lot of people in our uh, in our little bubble essentially were <laughs> were creating podcast content yesterday and seeing that podcast content become uh, I, I wouldn't say irrelevant but slightly outdated <laughs> fast in, in, in a very fast manner. Um, Man, Matt, I, I don't. I'm going to start with you. Um, are you still dizzy after the last 24 hours? Because the fact that Jose Mourinho was sacked and no one has even, no one's even talking about that. The fact that we've got news on Marcel Brand signing an extension and that's going to be relegated to either very late in this conversation or not talked about at all. It tells you what a seismic day uh, the last or seismic week it's been so far, but really the last 48 hours or so have been. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of um, Brexit. When <laughs> the Brexit thing was surprised happened and that was sort of like the main news story on all the websites. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, you get that shouting, honestly. But just, but just, just, just let me finish the analogy. But I mean, so... On the Brexit day, whatever it was, that was the main <laughs> news story, obviously. Something else massive happened. I think like the, the, the pound crashed to its lowest value ever. That was second on the news. And then it was almost like, oh, yeah, and by the way, David Cameron's resigned. 
like, <laughs> the, the, the actual prime minister. And that's sort of what it's, it's felt like. And it, I, I was saying this, uh, I can't remember who to the t- earlier today, but I think there are like parallels in that where I think when this all started to break and people were talking about it, there was a lot of, what on earth do we do? Yeah. What does what does this actually mean? How is this going to affect us? And a lot of people are trying to talk about it and make guesses on it and do analysis on it. But if we're being honest, no one had a clue. No one really had a clue what was going on. And I think that was very much the case. I remember waking up on that day where people thought, thought the world was going to end. And, you know, as much as it's not been a good thing, it's, you know, buildings haven't fell down. We haven't all had to emigrate or anything like that. But I think it's, yeah. Um, Head is still spinning. It's it's just been a, a crazy few days, hasn't it? And yeah, I think it, what what's mad about it is that I think when this all started to come through, the the thing that I was thinking is that you know we, we speak about other sports a lot on, on the Blue Room, and I speak about how much of an interest we've got in NFL and how much of an interest I've got in cricket and you know various other things like the golf that you guys were speaking about with, with Jack the other week and. As much as as much as I like those those sports, I think the only one I truly love and adore, as much as I hate everything a lot of the time, is is football. And I think with that comes a a feeling that even though we don't know probably it's not a lot of the time, we like to think that this is a, a special sport and we follow a special for a uh, special sport with special teams and there's something intangible and wonderful and great about it. And when this all sort of came through on Sunday, I was a bit like, we're not special. Mm. You know, mm. there's, there's, there's absolutely nothing special about us compared to anybody else, compared to any other any other sport we follow or people we might criticise in sport for being greedy or whatever. And it was so downbeat. And then, yesterday, when you <laughs> see people outside Stamford Bridge, you know, demanding for change you see people outside Anfield almost within hours somehow finding it the way to make a banner you know saying FSG out and all this sort of thing Petr Cech outside oh my word yeah what you know those protests at Tottenham tonight to record as, as we're kicking as, as, you know as, as kicking off as we're recording this hmm. there's been you know United have got a protest arranged for, for the weekend and it's sort of gone from having no faith and no belief that this is different and we're different for following this sport to, oh my God, yes, we are. Look, look, look at what people have been able to do over the last few days. And I think, I think Mike was so good yesterday on this on, on subs weekly. And, you know, if people want to listen to the in date, they probably best skip into the last 20 minutes because things did escalate pretty quickly on the show. But football fans, it could have been me. It could have been you, Mark. It could have been you, Rob. Had billionaires quaking in their boots and backtracking on things, and as much as we can sit here and you know sit here confidently say they don't give a shit about any of us really, and none of us really thought about that, it just goes to show that collectively, when there's a few of us and when people are united on this sort of thing, as cliche as it sounds, we can make things happen, and that is that is a good feeling to to be sat here as, as a football fan with that sort of that belief and that faith instilled after what. You know, I haven't had it drained effectively when that, that mm-hmm. statement came through on Sunday night. Um, I'm in Rob's camp here in that I've, I've kind of silently tried to put so much together in terms of 
prepping for this podcast, um, prepping for how I talk about this with friends and and anyone who cares listen about my opinion because I think it's moved that quickly that, that this this situation looks like it's come and gone within 48 hours and, and we're of course all grateful for that but <laughs> the prospect of talking about it now is is borderline laughable because of how a chaotic it is and of course how how much it crumbled and, and how quickly it did so and um the the sheer embarrassment of the whole situation is probably the long-lasting feeling I have coming away from it. Um, we all associate ourselves so closely with with this sport, as, as Matt has said. And to the, the comical belief that people can come and tamper with this game is, as we've seen over the last 48 hours, quite ridiculous. Um, for, for someone like... I, I, you know what, it's got to the point now where there's been that many ridiculous quotes by Florentino Perez that I actually can't quote them anymore. Um, the the insinuation that football clubs, and in particular his football club in terms of Real Madrid, are financially hurting, um, this will save not only his club but our entire game. And we need to look out for these businesses. Um, to, to talk in in modern times about suffering and how in particular the pandemic has affected every single person in the world <laughs> to, to to marginalize that down into how his billion pound company has suffered and needs drastic change in order to help it was probably the most ludicrous thing i read i read about the super league and, and that is really going some in terms they say they were 200 million pound in debt yeah Sell free players. Don't don't regenerate your entire stadium. Um, look, at assets, I mean, look at the assets they've got there. So it's to put you know, Vinicius yeah. Junior, sell him. You get about 50, yeah. 60 million. You know, Asensio, sell him. You know, the, the, the amount of assets they've got on the books there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the options to, to get that money back doesn't have to be, do you know what? Let's wreck the entire European football pyramid here and we'll get our money back that way. Do what people like other clubs have had to do when they're in the shit, sell players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you've had you've had football's arguably football's most valuable commodity ever playing football for you for the best part of the last decade. I mean, financially, you really should be okay at this stage. Uh, I, I'm sure that Real Madrid are not wanting in in so many ways, and if they are, it's quite simply down to mismanagement and not the integrity of the rest of European football competition. It's in everything that you guys are describing a byproduct of decades of no regulation whatsoever on how these businesses are run. No talk of, I I feel, I feel like there are diminished expectations that are to blame to a degree because I, I, you know, as much as yesterday kind of feels like some sort of victory, um, it, 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 I mean, it's not like we're preserving a system that's been great anywhere that doesn't have massive systemic inequality when it comes to how clubs are able to essentially codify their advantages, uh, over, over long periods of time, um, and, and use their money as a weapon. I think the mistake that we made is thinking that if the richest clubs in the world 
got everything that they wanted that they wouldn't want more. But we've learned in the last 48 hours that just because they can do whatever they want doesn't mean that they won't try to still do more. And and I think this all this was was a bridge too far in terms of the I, I don't think any of them think it's a bad idea. I think it the, I think the execution and the rollout of it was really poor. They didn't, clearly didn't have a PR strategy. They clearly didn't communicate and they were so they had such in some ways little confidence in how the plan would be received that they did all of this behind the backs of their own business partners. <laughs> I mean, it's not, I, I I'm with you guys in that, you know, I, I think where I may disagree, Mark, is this idea that, well, we've, you know, the, the public stepped up and we really showed them what's what, I mean, yes, I, I think the public obviously played a big part in stopping the calamity of the super league thing. But now, where is that energy going to go? Um, because if that energy stops at yesterday and we just and basically all it does is essentially set up a uh, set up these kind of comedic Champions League reforms that have been on the table for a while that essentially are going to make it even more, you know, essentially a watered down version of what Super League was trying to do anyway, then what have we really gained? I mean, I guess we can say that the pyramid is still intact, but the reason these clubs did what they did was because they wanted to continue to operate without any financial barriers. Only they wanted to find a way to do that and still make money or make more money than they were. Um, <laughs> I think until you address, I, I think if the energy that has been, been shown over the last 48 hours, isn't focused somehow into some major changes that frankly, for me, have to start from the you know in in the UK and in and in the Premier League on the way all the way down that that pyramid first. I don't really know what kind of victory this ultimately is, or if this is just a short term reprieve before they go do it again. Because I think you will notice a significant lack of contrition in any of these statements from these clubs. Some of them even just issuing things that just said, "Well, we changed our mind." more to yeah. follow or maybe not. And and the thing is, is we'll get to this part too. And I certainly want your views on this guys, but not only was this bad and badly executed um, to me it is presented the other, the quote other 14 clubs in the premier league. If we just want to take one part of the focus and put it on our own league for a minute and giving them a rare opportunity to actually demand real punishment to demand actual change. And if they waste this opportunity and things just sort of go back to the status quo, we're going to be sad, but we're going to be having this conversation again very soon. Only next time the super league gr group of teams will say, you know, we'll have hired better PR. We'll have come up with a better commercial rollout for this. And they will say, you know, we've, we've, you know, they'll, they'll add some cosmetic changes to it. But if you think this is going to stop them permanently, I think you may be overestimating what what needs to be done and what what flaws are already built into the structure that enable them to get away with this sort of behavior in the first place. It calls for a real response from the rest of the football community. Yeah, I I know that we've mentioned finances quite a lot so far. Um, I'd, I'd probably say that the the financial elements were probably 
quite far down my list in terms of annoyances. Um, it, don't get me wrong; it was a it was a plentiful list, but football is football is a business. Ultimately, um, we we hold so many things that are non financial dear to us about this game, but. You know, we, we all know why football owners own football clubs. Um, in in terms of, I mean, the status quo and the imbalance of of in particular the Premier League has been mentioned a lot over the last few days. Naturally, teams will prosper, uh, and those that those that do, and those that are victorious and you know competitive, not only on but off the pitch, deserve to financially prosper. And there will always be that that imbalance between certain teams in the Premier League, but. The, the financial aspect of what the European Super League offered those six teams and, and how it would impact the Premier League, yes, was a major issue, but it, it wasn't the lasting memory that I'll have of this, the, the time where the big six tried to make more money. that That's not how I will look at, at the last 48 hours. It will be about the callous naivety that those six teams had to make this self-declaration of elitism that to, to suddenly pick a point in time whereby we would decide that we are integral not only to our own domestic game but the global game and quite frankly we are a level above the other 14 currently Premier League teams and any other Premier League team that may eventually materialise down the line and I think that was the to, to mess with the integrity of the entire sport, not only in this country but globally, was so reckless. I mean, everything about having that collective competition. I mean, beating Man United and playing against Liverpool and playing against Arsenal, they are all fantastic. But those wins and those draws that you pick up against countless amounts of Premier League teams throughout the season, they're what makes it. Those experiences that you have of going to the match and, you know... Avoid. I've seen Everton avoid relegation and be absolutely delighted because it matters. It means something, and that football. We are all invested in football. Yes, we love the game generally, and we love Everton. But the point of going to watch Everton games and the reason why it matters so much is because points are on the line. Com- competition is at the heart of sport in general, and in particular with football. And I think to to play around with that system and and to to think that you were able to to take that away shows the the total level of disconnect that these football owners have. Um, I I don't appreciate their motives, but I understand where they're coming from because they are they are primarily all financial. But it it, it was honestly upsetting as a forty eight hours to to just be anywhere near involved in this sport because. As Matt referenced earlier on, it it just lost all level of separation that we think that this sport has. We everything about football, in particular, in in this country, I think, is based on culture. Foot, football is a lifestyle choice in this. It, it it's not simply going to the match at the weekend. It we, we embed ourselves rightly or wrongly so deeply in our football clubs that. Every single thing that happens with it hurts. And um, whether Everton were involved in this or not, the the sole thing I had to to fall back on and rely on in this situation was, thank God my dad supported Everton, uh, and thank God that I was able to inherit that because, Joe, you know, we we speak long and hard about this football club and the things that it does off the pitch, and quite often they're through blue tinted specs. Um, 
there, there was never a doubt in my mind about how every single person associated with Everton at any level felt about this issue. I had no doubt that on what was it Tuesday morning, we would be the club that came out and made such a powerful statement because we are quite simply the greatest football club in this country for that reason. And we've been crap for 30 years on the pitch. And quite honestly, if you ask me right now, I actually don't care. I actually don't care how, how bad we've been over the last 30 years because there's some, there's, I, I do, by the way, but there's something about this team and this football club that just, it, 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 that, that is the reason why we talk about these phrases like born and not manufactured and chosen and, and all of these things that just appear as words on the side of the stadium every now and again. But when, when you get to situations like this, you realise that that means something. Uh, those who understand needing no explanation. You could expand all of these phrases that Everton have associated with themselves to the entire English game at the moment. But it, I, I was just, I, I felt so empowered by the fact that we were, and we will always be that pillar of realism in this in this bizarre world of football uh, and I think that the the output that we've had from Everton obviously as a club in general and from Denise Barrett-Baxendale has, has clearly been lauded by by everyone who read it but um, that that's probably my my take home in terms of a positive is that most of the rhetoric that has come from everyone from fan to journalist to other for, other 14 club owners has been absolutely spot on. Uh, and to have Everton at the front of that uh, was was a pretty proud moment this week, I'd say. So now that Mark's gotten the positivity out of the way, Matt, let's get back to the real discussion I, well, here. I was just, um, just, just going <laughs> to say, the, um, I think the, the phrase they said in the statement, which hit home, was preposterous arrogance. Yeah. You know, and that that you know the, the statement was great. And listen, I I I can't sit. You know, I, I, I agree with a lot of what Moses said. That I can't sit here and say with any certainty everything would have signed up for this or not. I don't know. I don't know. But at this point, it doesn't matter. Right. It it, it really really doesn't matter because you could, you know you want to make straw man arguments. Go and do it all day. Don't care. Um, right. But Everton ultimately put a statement out. The day after was it the day after all this broke um yeah early i think fulham were the only teams to put a statement out mm-hmm. first ahead of them albeit they weren't as forthright and eviscerating the plans as everton were <clears throat> so not only did they have a statement from the board they had a letter from the ceo to supporters and then the owner of the football clubs on a national radio station all before midday so i think say whatever you want about whatever everton would have joined it or not none of us know None of us know, and none of us will ever know. So you can you have those hypothetical arguments all day, but the cl- the club's reaction to it, as far as I'm concerned, was about as as good and as positive as it could possibly be, and that's that that that's good enough for me. That that that's, that's exactly what I want to see. But just just very quickly, Rob wrote something down here about you saying what comes next in all this now, and you know, painting quite a bleak picture of you know these UEFA reforms with regards to the Champions League and. And the power of supporters and that that sort of thing, fans can't do it on their own. I think that's 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 what I'd say about that. As much as they've been able to put a stop to this by, you know, this huge swell of energy and anger towards it, um, and protests and you know social media, what well, you know hashtags, whatever, everything's helped towards this that people have been able to do. Um, 
they can't do it on their own forever because you're not always going to get this moment where people go, no, that's enough now. And people reach breaking point. Because I think that's what's happened over the last few days. People have said, you've shoved this shite down our throat for too long now. Enough. Yeah. And that's that, that's how that's how people have gone about it. What has to come next is strong governance from FIFA, strong governance from UEFA, leadership from the Premier League, and leadership from the FA. Um, and that is on a variety of things for me. That is in regards to punishing these clubs in an appropriate way, which I'm sure we're going to go to talk about. That's that's going to that's the Premier League because ultimately they've, they've breached Premier League rules. The FA, who are ultimately the the body that oversees ownership and how ownership comes into football in this country, they've got to do more in regards to making sure the the right sort of people are running the football club. I mean, what did they expect to happen when they let hedge funds and actual countries keep coming in and buying? teams for, for you know for, for more and more money further down the line and then yeah. when it comes to when it comes to uefa and, and fifa you know listen uefa have, have, have come out with a lot of nice sound bites this week alexander seferin's spoken spoken very well and condemned all of them but now it's very no much way. a case of well actually um do you know what city welcome back in you're, you're yeah. fine lads you know we'll ruffle your hair and say just don't do it again don't don't do it again and that's been very much the message from them over the, the, the past few hours, and I don't know if that's going to change or not. And let's not forget as well, this horrendous Swiss model, which we spoke about a few weeks ago. I remember saying on the show a few weeks ago that this effectively was going to be a catalyst towards the Super League and all, and all that kind of thing. But this Swiss model, which effectively gives two VIP passes to two football teams, mm. is horrendous. And it's, it's, it's a bit of a watered-down version of what UEFA have been so strongly, con- you know, against over the past few days. So I think everybody needs to, to show a bit more leadership here. Otherwise, I, I totally agree with what you said in regards to these these people and these, you know, these these vultures who are at the top of these football clubs are gonna keep they're gonna bide the time and then they're gonna go and try and do it again in a few years. Everybody needs strong leadership and everyone needs to support the fans and follow the example of the fans that that they've set in the past few days. Well look, I there's there has been and there there are certainly a myriad of ideas out there on the what do we do to make our system better so that those in this kind of power can't simply abuse it or continue to build and build and build a financial advantage to the point of a de facto super league existing within the the current structure anyway which which some argue already sort of does exist uh, the, but, but I think I almost feel like the discussion of all of these improvements, which I think we will have, and, and certainly I think this will kickstart it. I think those are all appropriate at a certain point, but to me, there can be no talk of reform and certainly no talk of reconciliation until there is punishment first period, end of sentence. I am already seeing, and you're already beginning to see the softening language, the justification from certain journalists of, well, see, you know, this isn't, you know, the fans fault and, you know, the players shouldn't suffer. And, you know, even already I've seen David Maddock uh, already doing the whole revisionist history on Klopp being against this and, and being strong on this when he really wasn't. And, and and we're are they're already setting up the narrative. Even Paul Joyce, who never editorializes in his tweets, yesterday before uh, John Henry came out with his 
really weird, uh, really weird looking video <laughs> this morning about, you know, kind of trying to explain things. He even editorialized in one of his tweets, which he never does, about how, um, you know, this club statement isn't enough. And clearly um, the ownership who's who is uh, involved. In, and really, I, I need to give this I want to give this a proper read because I, I owe it to to old Joycey, our favorite red journalist, uh, to get his wording right on this. But I, I did notice this and I, and I didn't it didn't just blow by me. He said uh, he quoted the he quote tweeted the LFC statement about uh, about them saying that they were confirming that they were going to just you know get out of the ESL thing. And Paul Joyce said this is a club statement. Clearly, an apology should come from the owner Fenway Sports Group and not the club. Let's see. There's already this subtle separation that a lot of people are trying to pull off of. Well, this is just bad owners. This is not the club. You have to separate them as if as if there's a way to really punish these owners without punishing the clubs. I, I'm sorry. If the guy who owns the fucking thing isn't in charge and accountable, and therefore that accountability uh, impacts everything that he owns, then there, then by that sort of super philosophy, there's no way to punish a club for anything because it would, quote, hurt the fans. I don't want to hear that. And I, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't buy this notion that, well, you know, we're just going to have to tell them not to do this anymore and the clubs can't suffer any repercussions because that wouldn't be fair. No, <laughs> we, we, the, the fairness ship sailed a long time ago, okay? Um, you... We talked, and Matt, I know we, you and I have been in these discussions before when um, Project Big Picture was mute, mooted and all these other things. I, I've talked I've talked several times about the fact that, that this amounts to nothing less than a mutiny and going behind the backs of your business partners in a multi-billion dollar business and trying to essentially, uh, you know, essentially get around... Uh, the people that you are doing business with as if it doesn't affect them. The, the idea or the notion that all this happens in a vacuum and that if anything, this only affected these club owners and didn't affect anyone else is total horseshit. That is absolutely not true. Those clubs doing this would have had severe financial and cultural repercussions on all of the other clubs and the communities that they left behind in this. If there is no punishment and when I say punishment, I think all options are on the table. European bans, transfer bans, points, deductions, a little from column A, B, and C is fine by me. But the notion that you wouldn't have punishments is effectively saying that you have no enforcement mechanism. And if you have no enforcement mechanism for, I don't know, a fucking coup, then what is the point of having a league? At that point, you're not even a league. And this whole argument about the sanctity and how set, how sacred this footballing pyramid is ends up being nothing more than just a bunch of romantic half-talk. You have to have rules that are enforced. And let's be honest, among the major sports in the world, this is, I'm sorry, this is one of the least regulated 
make as much money, assert your advantage as much as you want. And we're okay with it because that's how things have always been. And that shit drives me crazy. That stuff does have to change, but let, we can debate what the changes have to look like, what's feasible, what can happen, but what cannot be debated and what should not be lost in the discussion we are having today and this week and into next week and the week after, there must be punishment. There must be calls for punishment. And we can't just go, you know, we can't just forget about it over the weekend after we've all been out to the bars and had a few drinks. I want to see signs. I want to see targeted humiliation of these clubs. I don't care if the players feel like it hurts their feelings a little bit. John there Henry in stocks in Boston. That's what I want. I, I don't care. There need to be signs. There need to be calling out of these clubs. I, I, you know, Hey, do I feel for the players who had, you know, nothing to do with this to a certain degree? Sure. But the, the ire is not directed towards them. It's directed towards their clubs. If there is no punishment, there is no discipline without discipline. There's no accountability. And without accountability, any discussion about reform is meaningless. So to me, first things first, accountability, accountability, accountability. You, you, I think you're so right, mate. And just this might be a bit facetious, but how far do you take that argument about it harming the fans? Do you look at what Manchester City have had to go through recently and say that Champions League ban had stuck? You say, well, you know, the fans probably want to see Manchester City in the, the Champions League playing against the best teams. And, right. you know, this punishment of kicking them out of that is probably going to harm the fans, so we won't do it. Or if, say, Manchester City are playing uh, this week in the Premier League and Kevin De Bruyne gets sent off. So you go, well, actually, you know <laughs> what? The um, the fans really like Kevin De Bruyne and he's a really good player. And, we, you yeah. know, everyone loves watching him play. Um, so let's not, let's not punish him, actually, because, you know, it's, it's the fans that are being hurt by this. You know, ridiculous. You know, ridiculous. It, should, it shouldn't be them who are made to suffer. It's it's mad. It's it's absolutely mad. And you're right. There's got to be some kind of accountability for it. Otherwise, we'll be sat here, you know, in however many years' time, having these exact same conversations again. And like, you know, it, all, this all, could all, happen all, a year from now. Like the idea that it'll even take five more years from them to try to pull this again. If there aren't severe repercussions, and it has to start with the FA and the in the Premier League. I mean, it's got to start with with us getting our own house in order, but you can't just let these six return. You know, if UEFA and FIFA who are not exactly the pillars of organizational integrity, they've got their own issues. Fine. But what can, what, what can the premier league, what can the FA control or assert? They, there need to be punishments for this because they broke very explicit in black and white terms, uh, bylaws of being members yeah. of the Premier League. What What's the point of having the rules if there's no enforcement or punishment for breaking them? They have literally broken a rule. Yeah. Literally one, broken a rule. One of the great ironies of this situation is that the Premier League have probably been a little bit hesitant in terms of being too harsh on those six teams in the past through fear of them breaking away from the Premier League and creating their own league. Um, the, the fact that we are now going full circle to punish them for that is is quite simply beautiful. Um, the, the the statements that you both reference, I mean, in terms of punishment, I, I felt more confident that this whole thing would break apart than I am in any form of real serious repercussion following any of these teams. Um, and, and that's just through the, the issue that, that Matt's mentioned and, and countless other issues that have came and come across these six teams in the past and have been brushed under the carpet by all of those associations that you've mentioned. Points deductions, European bans, they are all, of course, 
relevant in this situation. I think, ironically, if you ask the fans of those six teams, certainly the ones that I've spoke to, um, on, on a local point of view, the Liverpool fans that I've spoken to, I think that most of their own fans will be fully behind any form of punishment that was handed down to these clubs. And and they know that it hurts them. They, they know that they can't watch Champions League football for, what, a year or two. Um, financially, it may hurt the club. It, it may hurt them going forward as well. But th- there's an acceptance from the general footballing world that we've hit a crescendo here. And, and if something doesn't happen, then you, you quite rightly say, Rob, we're, we're not talking about five years' time. It wouldn't... At least two or three of those club chairmen have already had the thought in the last 24 hours of how do we come back and do this better next time. 100%. Florentino uh, <laughs> Perez will already be plotting the the next revelation of, of European Super League. And to the point that you both make about how do we impact the owners and, and not the football club. And you, you rightly say that the players... It's not necessarily, and it's by no means a guilty by association situation here, but unfortunately you you are employed by that man who has broken the rule. It's it's just how it's just how life works. I mean, how, how else do we punish John Henry by not punishing anyone else at Liverpool Football Club? Do we do we go round to his house and trample on the flowers in his back garden? Like there's no there's no way of singling this guy out without impacting the business that he owns. The business in this situation is a football club that employs and is at the heart of so many people. It's 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 incredibly unfortunate for the vast majority of those. But if, if you don't make these severe regulations and don't put into practice these punishments, then what is the point? We, we, we talk about, you know, how do, we, how do we reform regulation? How do we make this different in the future? Well, You've got to deal with the present before we start worrying about how we how we potentially deal with this again down the line. Let let's let's figure it out now, and then you've got your blueprint in terms of how you deal with with such severe rule breaks in the future. But it, you know, it, it it is incredibly unfortunate for everyone involved in those in those teams. But I think it's been an incredibly unique situation and certainly I've felt a, a period of, of uniformity of, of every football fan in this country that change has to happen. Um, punishment unfortunately has to happen. We, we don't want, we don't want to see sanctions getting lashed around this league and impacting on, on the hierarchy of teams within it, because that is essentially what we've all just argued and, and fought for. But unfortunately that we, we have hit that, that peak now whereby Things like this just can't be tolerated. Um, football teams are not toys for billionaires to to lash around, and as as much as they see it as that, sometimes I think there's been a there's been a real harsh blow of reality that's been dealt to so many of them this week, and the the repercussions not only in terms of financial and points, but in terms of people selling these clubs and losing their jobs. And um, I mean, even last few minutes on Sky Sports, I've seen that. Um, the Premier League have asked for any representatives from those six teams who are on any any sort of official footballing board in this country to to step down and resign from those platforms. And and they're the interpersonal issues that exist within football that are going to be damaged for a good number of years now. If any particular issue gets brought up at club level and there's any form of need for clubs to to communicate with, with each other and try and decide on, on a way forward, be that something 
in this situation as minimal as VAR or a new offside rule. All of these 20 teams are going to have to sit around and there's going to be that apparent and silent divide that exists between these teams for so long now until the, until the personnel that have been involved in this situation have disappeared. And, and, and quite frankly, knowing the arrogance of so many of them that are involved... I'm, I'm, I'm honestly surprised that we've seen the fallout that we have in terms of personnel so far. People like Florentino Perez, to an extent FSG, I don't see them bailing out for, for no reason because they, they think that they can release a, a two-paragraph statement and make a half-arsed statement online and, and that's all brushed under the carpet. The funny thing that, that struck me about John Henry's statement in particular was he, he referenced how this was particularly unfair on the Liverpool players and in particular Jurgen Klopp. And he said, they love your club. I mean, in, in this situation, to, to, to speak about the football club that you are meant to love and own as being your club, you, you know, you fans... Were- well, like no one expects them to be all sentimental, but don't. But at least put on some kind of air about it. At least act like it's like you have any responsibility whatsoever. And or in, in conversely, you can't do that bit where you're like, well, you know, it, look, hey, guys... It was on me. I I just uh, clearly I you know hey we, we'll uh, and it really wasn't even an apology. It was it was more of a yeah I'm sorry we put these guys in this position. But but in in any of those apologies, there never really was a full acknowledgement, at least that I read that I felt was sincere. Of we truly did not consider you know the value of this. We did not understand. Blah 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 blah. If anything, there were these little mini defenses that were written into those statements that were kind of like, well, let's all agree that even though this didn't work, let's all agree that football is broken and that the only thing that can really you know preserve it because you know we love you, the fan, the quote consumer. Um, we love you so much that that we're we're still going to find ways. To, they, like they're already establishing that. We're just going to roll this out better next time, but something must be done. So they've already created this argument that the status quo doesn't work, which, you know, what's funny about that is they're right. And they're right that there are a lot of problems. The, the, but the, the issue is, is that the there's no agreement clearly between the fans and them about what the solution actually is. Their solution is, well, we need to make these these more stable businesses. And if you say to someone, you know, I, I think it's important that we make this business stable, no one's going to disagree with a very reasonable sounding person like that. But their solution to making it stable is being a anti-competitive and B, essentially taking all of the financial advantages and that they already have. I mean, I think that's the 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 that's why I kind of grin a little bit when when Pep comes out, even though I agree with him and City comes out and talks about how, you know, the, there's competition is the most important thing. And I love it that employees of maybe the richest football club on earth are talking about how the sanctity of, of competition is so important as if they don't buy their advantages and, and codify those advantages in that way. But the, the, the bottom line for me ultimately is that the disconnect here with these owners is such it's not just if it's not a bug guys it's a feature and what i mean by that is that these businessmen like especially if you want to take let's just focus on the six clubs in in the uk three of them are owned by americans who don't live in the uk and don't and don't even view like I, i said this on twitter the other day guys think about how big manchester united is in the world 
Okay. The family who owns Manchester United, that is the second most important sporting thing to them that they own. Like, think about that for a second. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are way more important to the to the Glazer family than United. You know how I know that? A, because they're Americans and they're, you know, that's just going to be how it is. I mean, that's part of it. Sure. But B, the other reason it's important is that with you, with, in the NFL, they're not allowed to or in a position where they can just operate constantly on a debt debt loss type structure. You know, United can do that. They can just milk that, that, that thing dry for whatever they want because at the end of the day, they're never going to be held accountable for it. Um, if they lose United at some point or they sell United off, it's, you know, hey, big deal. It's not like it actually matters to them. And so to Matt's earlier point, once you allowed – hedge fund managers and you allow people who were so disconnected as to get to the point where they would would essentially get unlimited power and still not view it as enough power that's when you knew things were wrong and 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 that's the problem guys uh you know arsenal is owned by a guy who basically kicks it over to his son and lets him run it because he doesn't really care he lives in la stan Kroenke is more worried about you know his new stadium in la and the rams uh arsenal same thing unite like <laughs> i mean guys I, I i i hate to break it to lfc fans who think that liverpool invented sport and everything but the Red Sox mean way there's a it's called FSG it's Fenway Sports Group you know why because the Red Sox are the priority for the Fenway Sports Group not Liverpool so take that for a minute and realize that you have just witnessed men who don't give a fuck about this sport almost ruin it and are and and really there are no there's nothing in place to keep them from doing it and if you realize that your sport is that fragile then what do you do about it? And 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 again, beyond just the particulars of plans, I think that we as a collective fan base of this sport have to begin to argue for more than what we have accepted up to this point in terms of what is fairness? What is structural integrity of the league? What are clubs allowed to get away with? Do 20 clubs who are in the Premier League actually have an equal vote? These things sound trivial on some, in some academic way, but we've just seen in the last few days that they actually the answers to these questions actually fucking matter. And if we don't start demanding answers for them more consistently, we're going to get this all over again. I think you're you're so right, but it feels almost like it's it's just gone a bit far now. Like how how do you, how do you do all that now? And like I've seen I've seen you know people have been putting lists up of rights. Now we've now we've you know, the Super League's fucking done because of us. What are we going to sort now in footy and all these things? And one of the things that I've seen a lot of people talking about is the 50 plus one ownership model that goes on in Germany. And, I, you know, I, I think that's that'll be fa- fantastic to have in this country, to have fans who ultimately are the majority of the ownership and can overrule the decisions of any, you know, anybody from the outside with, with a vote. I think it's a great thing. How do you how do you implement something like that? Mm. You know, you know, from a legal perspective, you know, with the, these people who are at the helm of these football clubs now, as we've seen over the past few days, are so brazen and have a lot of power and are not afraid to wield it. And I imagine they'll have a you know a phalanx of lawyers waiting to help them out with, with, with these sorts of things. If the FA comes and goes, right, we're going to implement a membership model like that, they'll go, well, no, you're not actually because we own it. It's up to us, and here's our lawyer. 
that we're going to say is, you know, it's going to tell you you're not allowed to do that. And it'll rumble on and it'll eventually end up being some half-baked version of it or it'll just be forgotten about completely. And the other side of it as well is it's not just implementing those sorts of things from a legal point of view. It's people like the FA or people at the FA having the backbone to say, we're, we're going to do that. Because yes. they're in a position now where the odds are so heavily stacked against them. And those six clubs, maybe not as much power. Well, they wield a lot of power, maybe not as much as they did a few days ago. But they are still ultimately the six juggernauts in this league. You know, is the FA going to stand up, stand up to them? I, I don't know. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're all sat here now doubting whether the respective governing bodies are going to punish them for actually breaking a rule that is, that is clear and conspiring behind the backs of the peers and potentially putting a move in place that would have disastrous consequences for the football pyramid in this position. And we're not sure, none of us are sure if they're going to get punished or not. Well, and that's why why it's so important that the 14 other owners of these clubs, you know, and again, I'm I'm very focused on the UK and because God knows Spain and and Italy have got their own problems. They got to sort out, but... The, the 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 change has to come from more, you know vocal not only the the voices of those like Farhad Mashiri who came out with such a strong statement but actually backing it up in that in those meetings and saying all right um, we're going to take a vote and here's what's going to happen because that's how it's supposed to work I mean as much as I would love this revolution I I, I think that's the thing is I am often told whenever I make a suggestion about you know, what could make the the competitive playing field more fair, whatever. I just get, it's always so dismissive, the responses. Well, that's just too far. We can't, we can't do that. Well, why? Because I think so much of it is we have become conditioned to expect so little that we then will see something like this happen. And what I worry about is that we've just had the shock to our system of this rebellion, right? And now UEFA is going to say, see, in comparison to what we're proposing, it's not so bad, is it? You know, like it almost has recalibrated our expectations. And I worry that that trick that shouldn't work on on people of modest intelligence will work on us because we're so conditioned to think that the the rich can just railroad everyone in the sport. I, I, I Again, it's not you can't make. European football like the NFL completely. I get that. I know a lot of people think that, well, I'm just bringing in my antiquated American blah, blah, blah to, you know, logic to this. But what I will say, though, is that the irony is not lost on me that two of the owners of clubs who tried to be part of this result are also NFL owners who would never never have thought about doing pulling any shit like this in the NFL. You know why? Because the NFL is made up of 30 plus billionaire, not millionaire, billionaire, super powerful owners who all have egos the size of trucks, who all wish that they could just, you know, use their money like in every other aspect of their life to just get whatever they want. But unfortunately, they live in a league where I say unfortunately, it's not really unfortunately because they all have just made hand over fist money through it. They agreed at a certain point, like, look, we all got money. We're all rich. But what we're going to do is we're going to say no team, you know, every team will have different, you know, like the Cowboys have cachet. The Patriots have cachet. They can probably, they're probably more attractive to a free agent because they're the Cowboys or they're the, the Patriots or whatever. 
But what they can't do is spend $40 million more per year than another team. They, they all have to agree that, look, we all live under this salary cap and no one can spend more than this. Um, you know, it's like financial fair play, only it actually matters as opposed to it being this fictional, fantastical thing that no one really understands. And then the, on top of that, they also agreed to this revolutionary, very socialistic thing, which is ironic for America where they're all like, Hey, every big TV contract we sign, every big commercial deal that's at, you know, at the league level or whatever, we're just going to split that money evenly between every team. Everyone makes money. The league is competitive. The ratings are higher. And guess what? When the new TV contract deal comes around and we need to sign it, oh, guess what? Now we're going to get paid $13 billion for our next deal. That's what happens when you actually run a league that has rules, that has you know some form of mechanism. Now, what I'm saying about that is that I get that the European model can't adopt all those things, but humor me a little bit and actually say, wouldn't it be good for the game for this pyramid that we all claim to love and we all think is, is sacred and good for these communities, especially as we've talked about extensively over the last year with COVID, where the fragility of these financial structures were laid bare for all of us to see. You want to benefit those lower league teams. You find ways to have some of that money begin to flow down, but it has to start with some kind of equal voting and equal treatment and equal revenue sharing of some kind at the Premier Premier League level. Because guess what? When people watch a Manchester United game versus Burnley, they're all they're not just watching one team. They're still watching both teams because you're part of a league together. No one is saying that Burnley's ever going to be a more attractive landing spot than United or or, or or city or Liverpool or whatever. But what they are saying is, is that everyone is going to be rewarded to a degree for their innovation, for how smartly they run their side, et cetera. And guess what? Players are going to benefit because then they can actually make more money on a consistent basis by having revenue increases every year. Because when you have a bunch of clubs that are operating at loss all the time, you're going to continue to deepen the problem. You'll have the clubs at the top who can keep borrowing their way into debt and mm-hmm. overpaying for players to sit on the bench and quality players who just don't play at all. And you're going to have sides that flounder every single season like Palace or like West Brom. Like at, at a certain point, shouldn't we be asking for more? And I think we should. I'm not saying I have all the answers. But what I am saying is that our questions need to actually be better questions than, than they They've been in the past. And, and that's yeah. kind of where I'm at. But again, it all starts with making sure this is a league and starting with real, genuine accountability. We are creeping our way to justice here because Danny Ings has just put the others 1 0 up. Yay. <laughs> there so, we you go. Know, Arsenal are going to be the only one of the, the six yeah. to win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've all bought into that. No strikers or not. Um, we got, speaking, of, I know the, the influence that we've spoken about coming from the US is has been our primary focus here and we actually got dangerously quote uh, dangerously close excuse me to an apology today uh, i don't know if you guys have seen joel glazer's open letter to some to the fans <laughs> today um quite early on in in the statement he said you made very clear your opposition to the Euro- european super league and we have listened we got it wrong and we want to show you that we can put things right. And I mean, we didn't ask you first off. We didn't we didn't want to consult you at all before this. We didn't want to listen when there was a it's just, time to listen. It's just it's just a bare, it's just bare face lie, isn't it? It's well, just, you know, and you know, and, and they think they think people are idiots. You know, how if, if John Henry and the Glazers 
really wanted to canvas fan opinion on this and were worried about the, what the fans think, go and speak to Spirit of Shankly. Yeah. You know, go and speak to the Manchester mm. United Supporters Trust. Pick up the phone and ask one person. Speak to your own staff members, Matt. They didn't even speak to their own staff. Uh, no one knew about this except for the board members just, and the owners. Just lie after lie after, you know, they're just, it, yeah. Like Fl- Florentino Perez, Perez saying, oh, actually, we didn't ask Bayern Munich and, and Paris Hans around to join <laughs> yeah. this. On, honestly, you know, the two, <laughs> no one the, believed. The actual European champions and the runners up in the Champions League last year, this European Super League we're trying to build, we we, we just left them. We, we you know, we didn't, we didn't bother asking them to, to come and we get involved in this. Perez. <laughs> we want we all Tottenham, yeah. Fucking hell. Just oh, so it's the, this is the coalition of the willing all over again, if you guys remember yeah, when yeah, we went to yeah. the Iraq war in America and we couldn't get any of the other countries to go with us. We we pick off like Iceland's joining us and Norway and whatever. We called it the coalition of the willing. And and I feel like what's funny about that is that not only did they not get more clubs on board, they then pretended as if the ones who had said no to them, oh well, I didn't like them. I didn't want them anyway. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like asking a girl out. She says no like i never liked that Ooh. girl anyway it's up. so so childish oh yes i'm here can you not hear me oh you just caught me oh sorry about that no anyway all i was saying was did you, how did you childish. Off you as well, yeah oh okay well you, you I probably you, you was talking about the um about how the potential yeah, you know, I just said it was very, it was very childish. The whole like, you know, you'd be like asking someone out and they say no, and you're like, I, I didn't like them anyway. I was never interested, and you deny it to your friends. I mean, it's such a, it's the that's the other thing about this, guys, is that these are the biggest clubs in the world, right? They've made the argument, and they've made all this money despite all of you know, despite certain things, right? Um, they they made the argument that they they are so special as clubs that they should have their own elite grouping, like Mark said, declared themselves elite. But why not? And yet, what? and yet, for the billions, the collective billions that these clubs are worth, they didn't bother to hire a PR firm to actually manage the rollout of this. I've never seen rich people bungle i mean you know i've not seen a rich person bungle this well i mean i guess this was every day for the last four years for me in in this country but you know what i mean like like every day was a pr a pr nightmare like i can't believe that they so hastily got this thing together that they didn't consider all the things they needed to do or have a plan for the blowback or any of this stuff. They just, they, they threw something out there and they wilted at the first, at the first real signs of resistance. It's, it's incredible. Before Joel Glazer finished bathing himself in remorse, um, two sentences later, he said, we continue to believe that European football needs to become more sustainable throughout right. the pyramid for the long term. All, all that that guy is trying to sustain is the financial influx that goes in through the door at Old Trafford. Um, to touch on the PR thing, the logo was shit. That annoyed me as well. If you're going to go to the effort, let's get some uh, let's get some graphic design. Oh my God. Um, the the point that I'd make about the you know the self declaration of elitism that I mentioned earlier on. How how can you pick a point in time in this sport whereby? now is the point that the breakaway must happen. We've established that these six teams are comfortably 
leagues ahead of everyone else. It's it quite simply not the case. And you, you, you simply have to look at the Premier League table this season to realise that that is not the case. But in terms of the the evolution and in some cases the revolution that some of these teams involved have had over recent years. How would a team like Man City or Chelsea have felt if 15 to 20 years ago clubs like Arsenal, um, to an extent Leeds, Manchester United, Liverpool, going back a little bit further, Everton said, we're nothing to do with you now. And I appreciate that that finances and broadcasting has has evolutionized massively since then but how how can you pick a point in time whereby you say well things are going favorably for us right now so we're going to make this call and I think that that was what was so so malevolent about it is that they were picking the moment of their own general peak and taking away any form of potential decline that may come in 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 times to come and I reference Man City. If no one needs to talk to a football club more than Manchester City in terms of how you can work your way up and down the the, the pyramid that is English football. It it's it's what makes it brilliant. It Manchester City fans talk about Aguero and money and all the su- success that has has materialised in the last what is it ten to ten to fifteen years. That all means so much more because of where they've come from in the last 25. Um, it, I, they'll go back to that, what was it, League 2 playoff final at Wembley, um, which they, they fantastically won on penalties. Th- those moments will be held in in a higher regard for, for so many Manchester City fans as winning Premier League titles and, and countless FA Cups will be because they're, they're the emotive victories that football fans crave. Um, to, to go back to the, the point that you mentioned, Rob, about the the secrecy behind all this. Um, that That is essentially, for me, why all of this has, has fallen down because the the lack of involvement of, to an extent, playing staff, but in particular coaching staff, um, and to agree, to a degree, excuse me, the the other staff at the football club, it's, it seems as though there's, there's board members involved at these six teams in England that were totally unaware of of this plan ever materializing. And I think the the behind closed doors nature that they've tried to carry this out with has ultimately been its downfall. Um, communication is is everything in terms of running a business. And Gary Neville was one who who referenced it. He runs his own football club to a to a lesser extent. It, it, it's just basic human decency and common sense to have that that level of planning and understanding throughout your organization before you go ahead with such revolutionary plans. Um, the, the fact that that was not done and how how some of these people have come to be billionaires is is beyond me if that is the way that they run their businesses. But in, in terms of reform and where we go from here, I think the... I think Matt's right in terms of that, the massive shift to another country's, uh, uh, you know, ad- adopting their plan, like a 50 plus one or, or however it works around the rest of the world. We are quite frankly, too far down the line for that enormous change. It has to be gradual. Um, I don't think that we're going to... We're never going to say to someone like FSG, give half of your assets away for free. Uh, We're not going to pay you back half of your investment, but we do want funds to have an equal shareholding. It's quite simply impossible. Um, There does, however, have to be some form of fan vocalization on boards it, it shouldn't have to be like that because 
you quite frankly don't need to go and get fans on the board of your football team if you just vet the original owners in the appropriate manner. Fans shouldn't be running football teams. They should be supporting them. That That is essentially what we're here for. Yes, it's nice to be vocal. It's nice to be heard and listened to and our opinions taken on board and put forward in major decisions. But we're not there to run the football club. If we just put the, the original correct vetting in place in the first place then that that weight should never fall on the shoulders of match going supporters and i think that's the that's the the kind of status quo that exists between that sort of power shift there is that yes we want to be heard but ultimately you should be good enough at your role to perform in the manner that we expect our playing staff to perform. You don't ask our fans to, to come and deliver a team talk at half-time because the manager's not doing very well. There's a role for everyone in football clubs and and quite simply, owners need to play theirs. Um, whilst we, we we very briefly touch on on the on the pitch aspects, I think the, the point that I made um, to, to a few of you guys over the, the weekend and the start of the week was that it will be interesting now, albeit with only seven or eight games of the season. And this potentially may have a hangover effect into next season as well in terms of the reaction from pretty much every team in this league, in particular the players of those six teams. I think the point I made to you guys was that we potentially could see a real drop-off in form of the top six teams here. And since then, we've had Chelsea with a, a pretty disappointing nil-nil last night. We've obviously got Tottenham struggling tonight. Um, Liverpool obviously scraped that one all at Leeds. There's a sense of reinvigoration from every one of the players of the 14 teams that plays them. But also, in, in terms of the, the sympathy that you have for the players of those six teams, th- there will always be yes, in the short term for the rest of this season, but potentially even going forward as well, there will always be that thing in their back of the mind of, do you remember when our club tried to do the dirty on us? Um, and as much as, you know, th- there will be options for these players and if they do feel so aggrieved and so hard done to, then you, you might you might simply get a case of, of players abandoning their clubs. And yes, they will be brave and bold moves, but I honestly feel as though, the personal relationships we talk about being damaged between clubs, that that will filter down very much to their playing staff as well. Uh, and, and certainly in the short term could have, could have a massive impact on those teams. Matt, I I'm curious to, I think Mark brings up something interesting because I don't think we've talked about it much because so much of the focus rightly so has been on the ownership role in this and greed and, and all the, the usual talking points, but what role moving forward should players have to, to, to have a bigger voice in this? Because, you know, on one hand, Mark makes a good point about, about trust. And I, I sometimes think that there is a weird lack of player power in European football compared to other sports around the world. And when I say that, everyone will say, what are you talking about? They can get this huge transfer and and make, you know, and they can just say they want to go and just go. And that's, that's part of, player power but another big part of it obviously is actually codifying or or solidifying in writing what the relationship uh has to be in terms of how you you rule the governing of communication between themselves and their employers Uh, we call that collective bargaining um they they generally have a, a set amount of revenue that they would would normally expect to get as a share of the overall profit like i i wonder if 
on the one hand, Mark makes a point about trust. And there's a part of me that thinks if these players are paid enough, they're not going to agitate to leave their clubs, you know, because a lot of them are just trying to make their money. But having said that, I do wonder if this is this. I feel like maybe this ought to be the inflection point where players say, you know, um, without any consultation, without any communication whatsoever, our employers essentially tried to change the fundamental structure of the sport that we play in as if our opinions and our voices were just complete, you know, almost completely inconsequential. Taken as granted, because, weren't they? They were taken as... Yeah, they were very ta- taken for granted in terms of, well, they're, they'll just go along with it because football players will just, you know, you throw a ball out there and put 22 of them on a pitch and they'll just go do their thing as long as they're on Instagram and can get paid, right? Like, I, I think that it's such a reduction of of these guys in terms of like in any of us, we, we all have jobs. We all just simply want the respect of having our employers be straight with us. At the very least, this ought to be a big, big red flag to players about how their owners will, will do whatever is best for them without consultation to them or at their expense at any time. Um, I, at what point do Matt, I, I'm curious on this. At what point, do the players need to collectively, as opposed to this, like, you know, Jordan Henderson decided to have a meeting of the captains, but nothing, none of that sounds formal. Like, like I know that there is technically a players group, but I don't know that they really assert any actual influence or power. Like, isn't it on the players at this point to look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know, we need to, as a group, organize a little more. We need to have more real leadership amongst our, our rank and file. We need to be advocating for ourselves to have a seat at the table for gigantic earth-moving decisions like these to be made. Um, at what point are the players just kind of going, you know, are they guilty of just kind of going along with things and allowing this kind of thing to happen to them? And at what point do they need to actually stand up and, 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 and demand more of a say? It's a really good question, and I suppose this is going to sound like a cop-out, but I don't know because so much of this goes on behind closed doors mm-hmm. and in privacy. So, you, you know, the, the stuff about the, the meeting, like Henderson, you mentioned there, you know, that was reported yesterday, but don't really know how formal it was. We don't really know if, like, Jordan Henderson's, like, a the head of, like, a, a WhatsApp group that the Premier League captain yeah. has got, or if it's something more formal than that you know i've got no idea but i think it's i think what i definitely would say is the players it would be nice if this sort of thing and i think we've seen a bit of this this season actually but if this sort of thing was the the catalyst for them not being robots essentially you know these are a, a young man and obviously young women now with the wsl uh becoming a, mm-hmm. a a bigger thing and the you know those players being more in the spotlight who are media trained from the age of probably about 15 when they're, they're in an academy and they're getting close to the first team to within an inch of their life. And that now not only applies to, to things like interviews after the game and before the game, it applies to social media as well. And they will ultimately be indoctrinated with this view of, don't really want to say anything about that because. I've been trained to do it and I might get into trouble for it and it might have consequences further down the line. And I think that there's a bit of that with, with this. And I think we saw that over the the way in which this sort of developed over the, the you know, the first few days. You know, I think it was it was James Milner who came out afterwards. And he was the first player really to go on the record and say, he said, I think he said, I don't like it and I don't want it. 
Mm. And I think after that, was, you know, I think Patrick Bamford said something similar maybe at the same time in his interview as well, obviously, although he's not part of, you know, one of those six teams who, who went along with this. And then I think that was sort of the, 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 the catalyst, wasn't it, for everybody else sort of going that next step further. You know, I think Bruno Fernandes put something on Twitter. Um, Kevin De Bruyne followed, Luke Shaw followed. Then you have plays and interviews saying, you know, stronger things. Um, and I think in these situations, there's always, you know, in, in any sport, in any sort of walk of life, when something like this needs to be spoken up on, there's always a tentativeness for someone to go first. Everyone's always waiting for that first person to... You know, I think I think we do it in football when something happens, you know, you sort of wait to see what the general consensus is and then, then you form your own and say your own. And I think with footballers in particular, because they are so trained to not say anything and not do anything and not be controversial. Um, that's probably where where they are and why a lot of them waited. Um, so perhaps in the future, this sort of thing will will make them be more opinionated and be comfortable being more opinionated. I think we've seen in interviews after games this season, you know, I think once with people like James Madison with Bamford, um, players seem to have come out the shells a lot and maybe there's a, a sense of perhaps they haven't got someone stood right next to them with a microphone in the face, maybe because it's over, over Zoom or because they're stood a bit back, they relax a little bit more and they can feel a bit more at ease when they're speaking. But um, I, I don't, I don't really know the procedures in regards to what goes on at the moment. Well, fingers crossed, there can be a star for the players that having more of a voice and more of an, an interesting and opinionated voice on these things. Don't about you. Yeah, I, sorry, Rob. Just, just no, go ahead, Mark. mentioned James Milner when I realised that. James Milner was going to be the player that was interviewed after the game at Ellen Road on Monday night. I, straight away, I was on the edge of my seat and absolutely delighted that he was the one that was getting put in front of the cameras. Um, because we're, we're not going to sit here and talk that like we know about the intricate elements of football players' characters, but he strikes you as someone who, as we go back to a point that we made earlier in the show, if you push people too far, you will edge them closer to that point where you break down the barriers that exist clearly between ultimately employee and employer. And I think at that moment in time, he, he just quite frankly didn't care about any repercussions from above him at Liverpool Football Club because he, he to an extent, had no real faith or trust in that entire structure. Um, I think the, the thing that disappointed me, honestly, about the interviews that night was that Jürgen Klopp had the opportunity to do that as well. Um, he I, I saw him get implauded for his interview and do you know what if, if someone tells me that people are in difficult situations I, I, I get it but the, there was no reason for me for him to, to hold back to the extent that he did um, and I, I, I appreciate it's a difficult one because we're just we're hot-headed football fans who have the, the freedom to say exactly what we want on on any platform but it was in a in a similar situation to James Milner being interviewed I was I was glad that it was Jurgen Klopp stand, stand, stepping up to the microphone in that situation because I'm, I'm not labelling him as some form of voice of the footballing people here, but he does give you that impression that in this situation, given the integrity that he he appears to have, and I'm not, I'm not saying he hasn't got that, and yeah, th- th- this is all with the caveat that I'm, I'm not laying into the fella for, for, for not going two-footed on his own football club, but... I did feel like there was an opportunity there for him to speak a little bit more candidly and honestly about the whole situation. And you know, we, we, we all got it. We all knew exactly what he felt about it. But 
just just vocalise that. Uh, I think I, I was I was just I was ready for that person to step up, and I think that's why so many people bought into to James Milner because football fans have a voice to an extent, but the that that voice only becomes relevant when it's echoed by people of of greater importance in the game, and um, be they be they players or managers and. I think James Milner probably saved the day and escalated this a little bit. It was akin to when Mikel Arteta got COVID and everyone sort of took it more seriously. Um, Jordan Henderson was was exactly the same in that he he elevated this issue for everyone purely by taking that step of bravery. And and yes, other other footballers did it, and they should all be be commended for it absolutely. But I don't know. I don't know about you guys. Or I, I like to think that there's no form of partisan nature in my, in my thinking there, but. I was left a little bit wanting with with the Jurgen Klopp statements on Monday night. Yeah, and with with that in mind as well, yeah. I'd say, say exactly the same about Thomas Tuchel, who glossed it over yeah, yeah. in his press yeah. conference earlier in the day. You know, he didn't he didn't say much about it either. But I think you're right. I think people see think people see Klopp, and I've got to know him as as somebody who, while he can be really pissy and a real sore loser after games, sometimes I think you know as much as I don't really like the fella, you, you, you like. You get a sense that he has a view of of things that are right and wrong, and when it comes to everyday life away from the football pitch, and and listen, like you said, it was it was a difficult situation. But and I, and I don't I don't I don't really want to sit here and, and have a have a go at him. I just think he was just I think he just towed he just towed the line and was bland and was conflicted and was clearly pissed off because his team had just conceded a last minute goal and he didn't really know what to say and he got himself in a bit of a muddle and it was all it was all a bit mad. It, it, it was all well. That's being hung out to dry, though. That's the exact definition of it. Yeah, well, he that, was. Yeah, those, those, those managers really shouldn't have been put in that position yeah. to begin with. But just, just but but just also their answers are going to be imperfect just, anyway. Yeah, in, but, in I, I just just I, the thing I'd say on it is I don't, I don't want. I'm not going to sit here and slag the fella off. No, no. I'm not going to. I'm not going to sit here and say as remarkably David Maddox said in his piece in the Daily Mirror there, which you've just seen saying that. Um, after Jurgen Klopp commented on it, the wave turned into a tsunami. I mean, you never heard anything <laughs> you more crazy. ridiculous in your life. Um, you know, there are people, there are people who, who stood up more in the last few days and have commented on it. Klopp didn't do anything terribly wrong. He didn't do anything terribly great either. Just, just leave it at that. He doesn't always have to be the, the bastion of, of football going forward. Don't try and rewrite write history with this because probably talking these people up and talking these clubs up as some great saviors of the game is probably one of the reasons why we got to this situation in the first place. 100%. And by the way, that that would be akin to giving Chelsea credit for being the first one to backtrack out of this. Like, oh man, Chelsea really led on this. I mean, give me a break. It's so dumb. It's And that's that's my objection is, look, I, I, I agree that the managers, the players, like they were all put in a position to not to have imperfect responses to this, right? And so I want to afford them a little grace in that regard. But what I won't accept is the this rewriting of history from media types who know better that is really serving only one purpose, which they what they're trying to do, what many of these these journalists right now appear to try to be doing in terms of their editorializing on the events of the last few hours is to separate the managers and the players from all of this in such a way that they can then craft a narrative of, well, this was 
all the only fault in this system is these six owners and therefore they have got you know that's the problem and nothing else to see here and we shouldn't punish the fans we shouldn't punish these players and blah 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 like and it, it try they're trying to muddy the argument about enforcement and, and, and process here and that's what I don't want like I, you can agree in life is full of gray areas, guys. Like you can agree that the players and the coaches were put in a poor position here, but that does not mean I have to agree that therefore uh, that therefore there should be no punishment to these clubs in order to spare the feelings of these innocent victims. Like when you're an employee, yeah, when you're an employee, it's it, you, you oftentimes have to bear the brunt of what happens when uh, those above you uh, act in, in, in uh, poor fashion in the way that we've seen. Okay, guys, we've, we've, can we've just one, gone. Can I just one more? Oh, very, sure, very, sure. Very, I thought you were giving me the one, like, let's wrap this no, up. No, 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 because I, I know you've got to shoot off and we have gone over the hour, which you, as you know, Rob, I hate. Um, huh. vehemently. Yeah, I know you do. Um, this is become a, a super league show. They're saying on the blue room, needs to get grip, needs to get a grip of it. Um, oh, that's right. <laughs> but, uh, a lot of people have been saying the last few days about how they want to, what they wanted to make was the the NFL, and I just want to sort of stick up for the NFL by saying that is absolutely not the case for the re- for the exact reasons that you just said, Rob. If this had been allowed to go ahead, it would have been unregulated spending by hedge funds and countries and oligarchs to do whatever they want. And there would have been some teams left behind and there would have been no semblance of fairness whatsoever because these people who who put this forward have shown themselves to be a bunch of greedy bastards. Uh, The NFL have got people who are owners uh, at the top of of those those franchises, some of them who are great, some of them have got checkered histories. But what they've been able to do down the years is implement a sense of fairness through what you said there in regards to the way in which the money is distributed in regards to the way in which um the the draft system works where the worst team each year gets to be able to pick the best young player in the country effectively and the salary cap as well there are measures in place which make that league fair albeit is completely different and it is it is a closed shop effectively There's, there's no promotion and relegation but there are things that have been done throughout the history of that organization that have implemented fair play and been able to engender a sense of fair play. This would not have been that whatsoever. Do you think, yeah, is that why we've been shit for 30 years? Because we thought when our moment comes, we'll have first pick in the draft. (laughs) (laughs) We we were just waiting for the invite. Matt, Matt makes a really important point here because the, the, my favorite bit right now is that this has become a proxy war for the anti-American sentiment that there suddenly is of, well, it's, it's these Americans coming in trying to make everything like the NFL. Like, let's parse these things really fast. <laughs> yes, there are there, the, the American owners uh, who, especially those of Arsenal, uh, Liverpool and Chelsea. Uh, I'm sorry, our Arsenal, Liverpool and uh, United. Uh, United, thank you. Sorry, Woo. we've been talking too long. Um, yes, you should fear the fact that they, because they're American and they don't really view, they don't have an understanding of the football pyramid that, or any appreciation for the cultural, or historical, or community-based, you know, perspective of all this. You should fear that absolutely. But let's not drag the NFL in and say, well, they're just trying to make it like the NFL because you clearly know nothing about the NFL and how it's structured if you're making that that sort of argument. When I said earlier that I would like to see certain reforms made, I, again, and I'm going to be accused of just trying to make this like the NFL, 
the you can look at a league that does things well and say we don't need to do everything they do because there's context these are different sports there are a ton more clubs in Europe than there are in you know American football clubs here in the, in the United States etc but what you can do is say well what is working for them and what what potentially could we take from this I mean that's I, I don't think I think this idea that you want to not be you want to go as far as like oh, we don't we want to be as un-american in this as we can because that'll be authentic and that'll work I think that you have to like use a little bit of common sense here I think I think there are absolutely relevant arguments for things like transfer and salary caps I think that there are you know I think that there are arguments for revenue sharing. I don't think that you can really do a draft in the same sort of way. I get all those things, but this idea that you dismiss one, you, th- you know, you dismiss this one notion or entity and therefore you dismiss any argument about change, that's not acceptable anymore. I think that any and all good ideas uh, should be on the table. And again, we, we've got to first deal with the punishment of the transgression before we can then pursue the justice of reform. And so for me, we've got to do first things first, but at the time at which we have the discussion about ideas, I think we've we've got to be open-minded and we also have to be honest with ourselves that that as fans, as as, uh, consumers of the sport, we've probably all collectively been a little bit lax in terms of applying the kind of pressure that we've just shown in the last 48 hours that we can apply uh, we, we've probably been a little bit lax in terms of applying that on a more consistent basis to get more accountability and to make our sport better. And and hopefully those tougher questions and that pressure will continue because there does need to be some fundamental change because the reason this happened is because A, there was an environment that allowed it to happen and B, there were systemic issues that had not been addressed in the current structure that need to be at some point addressed. The status quo, if, if there's anything to take out of this, guys, the status quo is absolutely unacceptable. It's got there've got to be some changes, uh, but this this gross uh, power grab uh, that we just saw uh, I, it will be the the subject matter of memes and jokes for the rest of eternity. And for that, I am grateful. And, uh, uh, as I am grateful very, for this very, conversation. Very quickly, Rob uh, Sassuolo just beating AC Milan at home as well. Get in. <laughs> there we go. The whole, the whole, the Mosey theory here is gonna, it's gonna come into play. I love it. All these teams are gonna lose. I intend on making a fortune over the next seven <laughs> weeks. Hey, we're gonna make Champions League then at that at this rate. Then well, there's uh, a draw right so now, but they drop points. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? There we go. There we go. Well, guys, awesome discussion as always. I knew this was going to be just a bunch of fireballs thrown at the screen today, and and, and you guys have not disappointed. Um, Want to go ahead and plug? Uh, obviously, we've got a game. God, we've got a game on Friday, don't we? We've already got another game on Friday. These freaking these fucking Friday games. <laughs> got another game on Friday. So post match, we'll have weekend mailbag on Blue Room Extra, uh, the subs weekly that Matt referenced earlier. Even though there's some content that may be out. Data. There was that was a great discussion. We'll have the weekly coming out tomorrow. I mean, we've got so much content, so much good stuff coming up for you guys. Um, really appreciate the time, Matt Jones. Thank you for joining us. For uh, my co-host Mark Mosey, I'm Rob. Ver- 
Únese al equipo de BD en Columbus, Nebraska. Estamos contratando para múltiples posiciones con elegibilidad de bonos de inicio de trabajo. Nuestro plan de beneficios integral comienza para todos los empleados en su primer día, incluyendo los planes de seguro de bajo o ningún costo para algunas posiciones, las oportunidades de crecimiento de la carrera y más. BD está hecho para lo que viene en la salud y su carrera. Solicite hoy en jobs.bd.com. Jobs.bd.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.